I, I talked with Nick right before. I was like, dude, God has gifted you and talented you. And when God gifts us and talents us with whatever gift that may be, we can't hold on to that. It's not just for you. It's for the building up of the body. So I appreciate you, Nick. You stepped out today. That's pretty awesome. Well, another guy that's stepping out today is uh, Paul Jetter. Come on up, Paul. I uh, want to introduce a, a good friend of mine. And Paul is the previous planner and, and pastor at Upper Valley Community Church down in Piqua. Uh, and uh, he was my wife's employer for a while. Until uh, you took her away. Until I took her away. <laughs> <laughs> this thing turned on. Yeah, but your, your mic's down. Oh, my mic's down here. I had, <laughs> I had that habit of up, Upper Valley, too. <laughs> there, how's that? That sounds good. All right, that's good. You, you sound much better. All right, good. Yeah, and you can see. I can see. I didn't used to wear these, but you know that the letters got smaller on the back screen, so now I wear these. <laughs> and, uh, Paul, you're also the regional director coordinator for Cuba. Well, not exactly, but kind of that. Unofficially, uh, officially, officially, I, I'm, I'm the director of all the groups and teams that go to Cuba all for right. Nazarene Church. Well, so. uh, Paul, Paul gave me a call on, on Thursday, as I mentioned, and I always said, Paul, if you're ever in the area, please come, come speak even if I've got a sermon series or whoever. And he called me and said, hey, can, can I speak? I said, why not? So uh, um, I appreciate you being here. you mind if I pray for you before? No, you know what? You got your sermon ready for next week. Congratulations. Well, the funny thing is, next week, <laughs> next week, uh, James Durow from Mount Vernon will be here again, or will be here for the first time. Well, you uh, have two weeks out now. Yeah, and Matthew spoke last week. All right, good for you. So all these folks are thinking, are you really the pastor of this church? Because we haven't heard you talk at all in two weeks. All right. <laughs> I'll be here in two weeks, unless you're coming back. Well, you never know. No. Then, then you no, can I'm, try to figure out how next to Next time, I'm, I'm obligated down at Upper Valley. Okay, so. okay. Well, we can listen to you all online. Right. Well, I'd like to pray for you all before right. you start. Heavenly Father, I thank you for our friend Paul. Uh, he's, he's been a friend and a mentor, and uh, Lord Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit fill him, and uh, will you give us ear to hear what you have to say through Paul, and uh, we love you, Lord. It's in your name we ask. Amen. Thank you. Got your clicker? I got my clicker. All right. Man. All right. Well, it's really nice to be here again, and I didn't expect you to be here this soon either, but it's nice to be here, and um, am I mic okay? I got in the right place? All right. Good. Um, See if this thing works. Well, why didn't that work? Did I do something wrong? No, it's just us. It's just you. <laughs> well, it's nice to know it's not me. <laughs> when I was a pastor, it was always me. And now you come to a visiting church, it's them. So anyway, um, we'll see if there's, there we go. I grew up in Fort Recovery. Does anybody know where that is? Yeah, you know, when I was in Fort Recovery, what I knew about Wapakoneta is I couldn't say it. And uh, I also knew it was on the road to Lima, and that's about all I knew. And once in a while, I was in high school, we played gym basketball if we ever got that far in the tournament, which wasn't very often. But uh, anyway, I grew up in Fort Recovery, and, uh, you know, there's a fort there, and there's a monument, and right there in that circle is the house I grew up in until seventh grade. And that's where I grew up. And uh, I used to walk around that park when I was a kid, and I called it Search the Gutter. Did you ever do that when you were a child? I'd walk around, and I'd look for what was in the gutters. Once in a while, I'd find some money, I'd find this and the other, I'd just, you know, scavenger. But uh, at six years old, I accepted Christ. I was raised in a Christian home, and I accepted Christ. How many of you accepted Christ when you were very young? Quite a few. How many accepted Christ when you were very old? A few? That's good. The rest of you are in between. That's, that's good, too. And I hope you all accepted Christ. But I accepted Christ when I was six, and I was baptized by my grandfather. His last Sunday, he pastored the church when I was eight. 
and uh, I wanted to serve the Lord, and so I, I was trying to serve the Lord. But um, I was never quite sure if it was right. You ever had that as a child? Was it good enough? You, you know, you'd hear a lot of people pray, you ought to pray more. Well, maybe. You know, I never say that because I don't know how much you pray. Maybe you're praying more than you're supposed to. I don't know. Maybe you're supposed to be doing something else. We ought to give more. I don't ever say that as a pastor. I don't know how much you're giving. I ought to fast more. I don't know how much you're fast. I don't know any of that. I just know we're supposed to give and pray and things like that. And so I always heard these ministers come in and say, you got to do this, you got that. And I was always very uncomfortable. And so every time they called to the altar, I was there. And, and I didn't know why. Well, one time over here at the campground, I, went, I was probably about 10 or 11, I went down. And my mother came down. And uh, she's just turned 99. She's a very wise woman. And she, she was wise when she was younger, too. But, uh, <laughs> and so she knelt beside me and said, Paul, why are you here? I said, I don't know. I just felt like I need to come. She said, uh, have you done anything wrong that you know of lately? I said, no. She said, get up. You don't need to be here. <laughs> and, you know, that really helped me because that took away the doubts of my salvation. But what it didn't remove was the fear of salvation, of not being saved. And so uh, I went through life, and I was, uh, you know, I was called to be a missionary. And we served, we were 15 years, Dominican Republic and Honduras, and now we're doing working volunteers in Cuba. And, uh, and, and so I always wanted to do that. I wanted to do something for the Lord. I, I wanted to serve God. I wanted to make him proud, I guess. It wasn't a very good reason to do it, but I wanted to do it, and I wanted to make that my parents happy, and I didn't want to go to hell. And so I was doing all this where you do that and you do this, so you kind of, you know, and you do, you pay your tithe and glad to do it, and, but had the wrong motive. And uh, so I went through life kind of frustrated at times, not all the time, and, but I remember when I got to the end at Olivet, I was going to Olivet, and uh, I was at Olivet, and I was ready to graduate, and uh, I started out in a Bible major, because I was going to be a missionary, and I didn't like the courses, and I loved science, so I got to figuring out, well, you know, if you're a pastor, you, a pastor missionary, you better not doctor. But if you're a doctor missionary, you can preach. So, you know, we, you, know you don't have to be trained to be a preacher is what I figured out. I found out that's wrong. But, uh, and so, uh, <laughs> maybe, it's, maybe it's the preachers I heard all my life. I don't know. But anyway, I, uh, and so I got down to the end of my senior year, and, and I wasn't going to medical school, and I didn't really want to go into uh, the service, and nothing against the service, but I just didn't want to go. And I uh, appreciate all you who did serve. And... Uh, and I didn't know what to do, and I was all frustrated, and I was mad at God, and I said, God, why did you get me here? And, and uh, I was just kind of, I don't know if I was ready to throw in the towel, but I was just frustrated. You ever get a moment like that where you're frustrated with God? Be honest. You ever get a little bit frustrated with God? Whoa, I went the wrong way. There we go. You know why we didn't go? I was punching the wrong button. <laughs> Maybe I had it upside down. I don't know. Anyway, I figured the up button was forward and the down button was backwards. I don't know what things are. But uh, anyway, uh, I, have, I have some grandchildren, and uh, we have seven. have one I haven't seen yet. Born down in Athens, Ohio, but uh, we're going to get down there. We were in Cuba about when she was born. And so uh, anyway, uh, I have a grandson that's uh, when he was four. He, uh, he lived in Houston. He was out with his dad, my son, and they were driving along, and there was an electrical storm. And uh, my son got talking to my grandson about how lightning works. Very sharp kid. And, 
They were talking about how it works and how that, you know, when you, it goes up and down and it, it splits the air and it thunders and you see the lightning first because light travels faster than sound. You can count to seven or so and you're supposed to be a mile. And he would explain all this to my son. And, uh, and, and it, my son says, can you believe all that? And right then there was a big flash of light thing. And my little grandson said to my dad, I believe I saw the light. <laughs> And I thought, you know, that's what we all need. We all need a time when we see the light and we can believe in a deeper way. Well, my moment came at Olivet that about a week before I graduated. I, I roomed. Uh, did you go there? How many went there? Did you go there? All right. A couple of you. All right. And uh, I was rooming. I, I, I roomed in that for two years because my freshman year. And then uh, I roomed one year because my roommate was David McClade. Some of you know who he was. He was... He grew up in New Hampshire, Ohio, and uh, he was my roommate one year and a very, very close friend. He passed away very early in life. And uh, so anyway, I was up there and I went up to see Dave because I was frustrated. And we were sitting at the top. If, if you can see right, we were sitting, I'll tell you where we were sitting. We were sitting right there behind that window, right there. And we were sitting on a radiator, not this one, but there were radiators up there at the end. And, and we were sitting there and I was telling Dave all this and he said, uh, you know, Paul, I used to feel that way too. Until one day I realized that Jesus loved me so much that he died on the cross for me. And he said, when I realized that, instead of fearing him, I realized he loved me and I could love him. And then I started serving him from love instead of fear. And that's the moment that I really saw the light. And that's the moment things changed. I saw the light. I believed in a deeper way. And so this verse becomes very important in my life. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. You see, I was in fear. I was worried about the punishment. And, and the Bible says there's no fear in love because perfect love, and, and I didn't have what we would normally call perfect love because sometimes I messed up and I still do and I still punch the wrong button once in a while and do other things that you know, I'm sure doesn't please the Lord like I should. So what's perfect love? And then once I realized that perfect love in the Greek sense meant loving God completely. I said, well, I can do that. You know, I love my wife completely. I've got a wonderful wife. I love her completely, but sometimes I do things that frustrate her. You ever do anything that frustrates your wife? Every day. Does she ever do anything that frustrates you? Every now and then. Will the perfect husband raise his hands? Oh, good thing, because if you have that wife next to you, she'd jump up and tell us. Right, and you know, but I love her completely, even though I don't always do things just right. And I thought, well, that takes the fear off. Because if I love God completely now, I don't have to fear. There's a song that I love to sing. And uh, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. If you want to sing a great song, it's a new song It's out. And just this son, all of a sudden I, I realized that, that I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. And that changed everything. But above all, when I saw the light, do you know what changed the most? It changed my motivation. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And look at the very next verse. We love because he first loved us. Why do we love? God, yes, but this doesn't mean God. This means other people too. 
Why do we do what God calls us to do? We do it because he first loves us. And so all of a sudden, my motivation to become a missionary had nothing to do with trying to make God proud. I mean, who needs to make God proud? I mean, how could you? You can't make God proud. He's God. It didn't have anything to do with making the church happy. Church is just an instrument. It didn't have anything to do with pleasing my parents. It didn't have anything to do with staying out of hell. It didn't have anything to do with all that. It didn't have anything to do with it. I wanted to go out because, you know, I wanted to help people. It had to do with one thing, love. I love God, and I love those people that need Jesus Christ. And that changes our whole motive, whether we're a church or an individual or whoever we are. It changes why we do. Now, here's a verse that you probably all know. Let's all read it together. You ready? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now, what if we change that verse this morning? I, I know we're not allowed to do that, but what if we did? And, <laughs> and, and what if it went like this? For Wapakoneta, Church of the Nazarene, loved the world so much that they were willing to do unusual, strange, and new things that whoever believes in Jesus Christ would not perish but have eternal life. You know, I had to do that. I had to learn new things because I loved the Lord. So I had to do new things. And uh, as a pastor, I had to new, do new things. And uh, I just talked to a church, uh, just preaching at a church, a Nazarene church down in Lenore City, Tennessee. And they decided they want to do some things to, to reach more people. Uh, you know, when I wanted to do things as a church to reach more people, you know what I did? I did something crazy. I went and visited all the churches I could that were reaching new people to see what they were doing. I just went to see what they were doing. I went to Lima Community was especially one with Wayne Sharps. I went to see what he was doing. I went over to Grove City, see what they were doing. I went to some check with now. I just went to every church I could go to that were reaching people and listen on the radio to see what they were doing to reach new people. And what were they doing? So down at Lenore City, I told them that. And, and they said, well, we were going to reach new people. And I went in. I was shocked. I went back to them. They had me in for a service. They changed a lot. They, they had some very good singers, just like you do. And you know what they did? They put the young people in charge of the music. The, the people who were normally singing went up and sang with them. They had three guitars, the drums going, a keyboard, mostly played by high school kids. I couldn't believe it. I, quite frankly, I didn't think they'd do it. And they said, we've got to do that. Why? Because we need to reach these people for Jesus Christ. I don't know what it's going to take here, but uh, you your extravaganza. For Wapakoneta love the world so much, they're going to have a great extravaganza, and they're going to reach out, and they're going to go around and pray for the city tonight, and you're going to be here. And then you're not only going to pray for the city. For the city, during the prayer, you're going to pray for yourself and say, Lord, what do we need to change to reach those people? You know, it's easy to pray for them. It's harder to pray for us because then I've got to do something. You know, it's, it's a lot easier for me to pray for somebody else. Lord, change them. It is for Lord, change me. You know what I mean? And he said, I had to see the light. And when I saw the light, something changed. Now, that wasn't even in my notes, but we're going to go on. <laughs> we love because he first loved us. Motivation changes everything. It allows us to be different. It allows us to be different in our marriage. When you really love that person, you know, when I got married, I had this brown jacket that I really liked. And my wife had these green out, this green outfit she really liked. <clears throat> my wife, I found out, hated my brown jacket. And I couldn't hardly stand to see her green outfit. <laughs> Do you know what we did? We both got rid of that clothing. Not because we didn't like it, but because we loved the other person. 
You see, love changes everything. And, and I didn't do it grudgingly, and she didn't have to lecture me. I just knew she didn't like it. I said, well, I'm not going to wear that anymore. And she knew I didn't. She didn't like that. And she said, I'm not going to wear that anymore because love changes everything. Whether it's in our experience with Christ, in our marriage, whatever it is, when we deeply love someone, we make changes. We do things that are different. And we do it out of a heart of wanting to do it and not because we're afraid they're going to walk out if we don't. I believe I see the light. Everybody needs a moment when they have to see the light. Everybody needs what kind of moments. I asked Pastor Andy Monin, the pastor at Upper Valley, who took my place and doing a great job. I, I, I preached a sermon similar to this down there, and I said, Andy, when did you really see the light? He said, oh, that was easy. He said, uh, when I was a child, the priest was preaching. He said, if you want to accept Christ, you should invite him in. So right there, I invited him in, and I, I started to serve him. He said, I felt called to ministry. He said, I would have been a priest probably, but priests don't marry. I wanted to get married. And so I eventually got married to Paula. He started attending our churches. Uh, they weren't going to church anywhere. Started attending the Nazarene church, the, uh, the first church in Nazarene where I was pastoring in, in, in Piqua. And he said, uh, you preached, and he listened to my sermons, he said, for a few months about commitment to God. He said, one day, he said, I was sitting in the car, and I was praying, and all of a sudden it hit me. God was saying, do I have all of you or not? And that includes your tithe. And he said, yep, God, you got it all. He said, right then, God changed my life. He said, he started tithing. And not only tithing, but he said, God, I just started serving, and now he's the pastor of that great church. So I asked your pastor, I said, well, uh, Stephen, did you have a moment when you saw the light? And he told me, but I'm going to let him tell you. So come up here. And uh, when did you see the light in your Christian experience? Uh, wow. So I was 31. I think I was 31. I was at a, a Apex Community Church, small or a larger version of what you see right here. Still orange carpet, orange pews. Um, there was a sermon that... You, the, you know, we'd love this in Tennessee because in Tennessee, the Vols are orange. <laughs> everywhere you go, the, the, the college color is orange. You see orange everywhere. <laughs> I don't know where to go with that. <laughs> just, just go on. Oh, man. So the pastor, uh, the sermon was on uh, a revelation cha- uh, where the church of Ephesus, they were doing all the right things, but they had forgotten their first love. And I felt really convicted at that. And that same service, a friend of mine, uh, Joe, he gave me a ring. He said, dude, I, I'm supposed to give this ring. This is really weird. But he's like, I'm supposed to give this ring to you, man. And so on the ring, there was a proverb uh, on that ring. And so for about two weeks, I was just trying to figure out, man, had I forsaken my first love? Um, I was doing all the right things. I was going to church. I was doing all the serving and all those things. And I was really trying to figure out, did I, have I really forsaken Jesus? And come to find out, I really, my perspective on Jesus was he was a fireman. He came in the house that was burning, and he saved me, and that was it. And uh, so I came to that realization, and, and one night at, uh, on my bed, uh, I just needed to pray. And so I opened Scripture, and I was praying on my knees. Scripture was Isaiah 58 about fasting, the, the, right, the right kind of fast. And at that moment, I knew I needed to fast, and so uh, I like food. Um, and so I, I sensed the, the leading of, you need to fast your TV. So immediately I got up from my knees, and I took my TV out of the house, put it in the garage. For a year and a half, I didn't watch TV unless I was at somebody else's place. But during that time where I wasn't watching TV, I was engrossed with, with Scripture and praying and, and doing things around the house. And by the end of the summer, 
I had fallen in love with Jesus. I know that's, that's not a manly term. So what? Um, I fell in love with Jesus. He became Lord of my life. And uh, that's when I saw the light. That's great. Yeah. And you know, it's those moments, those unexpected moments, when we come to Christ and somewhere along the line, almost everybody has a moment or two when they just saw the light in a new and different and deeper way. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, will have the light of life. You see, God wasn't done with Stephen. God wasn't done with me. He's not done with you. And he wants us to fall in love with him and to serve him. I, I, when, you, when you didn't watch TV for a while, was that hard to do? <laughs> yeah. It was hard to do. Especially football. Football. <laughs> but you know, you did it for a reason. And when we fall in love with God, we do things for a reason that we wouldn't normally do. We make changes. We do things. We uh, give differently. We, uh, we talk differently. We make life changes. And churches that fall in love with God do things they don't normally do. They move out of their comfort zones, uh, societies, because love changes everything. But sometimes in our lives, it's just not real clear. You ever have a moment when you went through a dark time in your life? Or you know someone going through maybe a divorce, an abandonment, maybe an illness, a death of someone you loved, uh, maybe that something happened in your family, it didn't turn out with your children, or maybe you were never able to have children, or maybe uh, it was something at work, an injustice, something went wrong. It was just a really, really dark time in your life. I think that when those times that God especially likes to come and show us the light. This is uh, Noberto Fis. Noberto Fis is a pastor, or was a pastor in Cuba. He hopes to be a pastor again soon. Uh, when I was in Cuba about three or four years ago, I've been going to Cuba since 2012. I think I've made about 26 or 27 trips. I don't know, I've lost track. I got them counted somewhere. You have to keep track because when you go to Cuba, you've got to go for a legal reason and you've got to keep records for five years in case you get investigated. And so I was there nine times last year and uh, with the church, taking groups, just going down, giving seminars, whatever. I met Noberto Fis and uh, found out that one day he was walking through the streets of Cienfuegos about, uh, oh, about four or five hours in, uh, in bus from where he lived because he was working, and he, he saw a piece of paper. It was during the very difficult time when to be a Christian in Cuba was... Uh, well, if you were a Christian in Cuba and you were top students, you still wouldn't go to medical school. You'd go up and clean fields. And if you were a pastor's child, you'd be made fun of. And churches couldn't meet anywhere except in churches. And there weren't hardly any because they were pre-revolutionary. And it was, it was just suppressed. Now, right now, it's changed. It's changed. It's open to the gospel. Great things are happening in Cuba. It's still complicated, but it's changed. But he was walking along. He saw a track, picked it up. It read it. It told him about Jesus Christ for the first time in his life. He never heard of Jesus Christ. Uh, he, he wanted to pray, accepted Christ. It had the address of the Nazarene church. He went there. He began to attend church. Uh, God began to work in his life. He went back to his little village. His parents were upset that he accepted Christ. Eventually, they all came to Christ and his family. He started planting churches up in the mountains above Santiago de Cuba and planted four or five churches that were there. And he always wanted to move into the Santiago, which is the second largest city in Cuba. Well, eventually we, he found a property. We helped him buy it. He went in. He told me, he said, I prayed for 19 years for this moment. 
and God's opened the door. So he went in and he started a church. Well, the church got going, but lo and behold, his wife had an affair. <coughs> and, uh, of course, it was devastating to him, devastating to the church. They separated, but they only had one place to live, and that was the house they were in. That was the parsonage, so they both were in there. It didn't work. Church was going down. And uh, he was frustrated, and he didn't know what to do. And, and uh, we knew we need ma- they needed to make a church change. It was one of those things where, what do you do? And so he met me in Santiago de Cuba, and uh, I carried with Bill Walker, who's playing the Nazarene Church over by Bell Fountain, was with me. And they went to the hotel room, and, and I began to tell feasts. They call him by last night. It's feasts. God's not done with you yet. God can still use you, you know, and, and you keep faithful. You keep pure, and you, you God can use you. And, and I just, I told him, I said, you need a change. You got to switch districts. Go from this district. There was two districts in Cuba. Go to the other district. I already talked to the district superintendent up there, and, and, and change and get a new start. And we prayed, and he got so excited that he walked over. You can see he's a big guy. He walked over, and he grabbed me like this and just picked me off the ground and started dancing around with me. You know, put me down, put me down. Well, he put me down, and Bill Walker, who's a big, strong guy, walked over and grabbed Feast, who probably weighs about 200 pounds, and picked up Feast like this and started walking Feast around. Now, that really surprised him. And he's walking him all around. But you know what? Right then, I think he saw the light. And when I saw him, he's transferred his membership to the other district. He's getting ready to pastor again. And it may be that somebody cheated on you, and it may be that you know somebody it was, and, and uh, you know, uh, don't give up. God still has a plan for your life. When I was just there a week ago, a week and a half ago, I had an interesting deal. I met his wife, his ex-wife. And there she is. She's the one on the left, the right. i got to look away. I'm going. The one on the left is a district superintendent's wife, and uh, the one on the right. And, and I got talking to her. And she came up, and in Cuba, you hug everybody. She gave me a big hug, and she thanked me that we'd helped her to get a house because she had to move somewhere. And she said, I'm back in church. And she said, uh, I want to get things right. I said, I'm sorry for what happened. And I thought, even if you're the one that messed up, you can see the light too. Aren't you, God? Because we've all messed up sometime. And I found out something else through the talking district superintendent life. I found out that Feast, as a husband, was so busy doing church work, he had almost neglected her. Now, well, there are two sides to every story. She shouldn't have done what she did, but she, he could have done better too. And sometimes we just need to see the light. And I thought, whether you're the one that messed up or you, someone messed up in your life or maybe you look back and you could have done better and it wouldn't have happened, God comes in and he says, I still love you. I still have a plan for your life. I can still use you. And I think both of them are going to come out okay in God's plan. I believe I saw the light. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And if there's darkness in your life today or if you know someone with darkness, you know, sometimes we give up on people too easily. Don't give up on people. Keep praying. God isn't done yet. Keep being kind to them. God still has a plan for their life. God can still use them in a great way. Because, see, the light shines in the darkness. When is light the bright, brightest? When it's darkest. If you don't believe it, light a candle in the middle of the day and light it at night. And sometimes in that darkest moment, God wants to shine. And maybe you're feeling here and you say, well, I'm, not, I'm over the hill. I can't use anything from God anymore. And this and that's happened. 
God's not done with you yet. When we were in Cuba, just here, uh, we visited with uh, Emilio Michel, the pastor, and his, his wife and his two children. The children's name are Emerald and Ruby. Emerald's the one that's 14, and Ruby, of course, it's Spanish. I'm, I'm giving you an English translation. Ruby, the little nine-year-old, is uh, they're very vivacious. You know, he, he's doing a great job as a pastor, really on the ball. Just church is doing well. And uh, in Cuba, most pastors earn between 15 and $30 a month. You know, you, you could really cut the church budget here if you want to change. But <laughs> <laughs> and, and things are not real cheap either. It is really tough. And so we, uh, we uh, if it weren't that people send money and things like that, they probably couldn't make it. And so it, it's really tough. It's really tough. One reason that I'm so involved with trying to help them get properties and, and building is uh, if you're making $30 a month in a bag of concrete, it could cost seven or eight. People aren't going to buy very many bags of concrete. And so if you decide you want to get a work team down to Cuba, let me know. But uh, or, or just we, we do more vision or, or just go around. I call them uh, encouragement teams. Go around and encourage them because take them gifts. But anyway... Uh, it must have been really tough on Emilio, Michelle, when his little nine-year-old daughter came up to him. I don't know if it was her birthday or just a day or what it was, and said, Daddy, and it's a really close family, really neat family. He said, Daddy, I want two things. And he said, what do you want, honey? He said, I would like some ice cream. They hardly, there's ice cream available, but when ice cream costs a dollar or two and you're making that kind of money, you don't get it very often. Say, I would like some ice cream, and I'd like a doll baby. You know, most nine-year-old kids have so many doll babies, they don't know which one to play with. But he said, that's what I really like. And he said, honey, I'm really sorry. I can't buy you a doll baby, but I will get you some ice cream. Now, we're going to go to the rest of the story. Before we went down to Cuba, I had a couple go down with me from Upper Valley. It was, it was a group from many churches that went. But Paul and Kevin Kuhn went with me from Upper Valley. And right before they left, Barb Sherry, who's the daughter-in-law of Paul Sherry, that you see a sign, walked up and said, take this to Cuba and give it to somebody. It was this box like this that had a Barbie doll and all the clothes to change. And they said, okay, somebody will want it. So they took it down. We were in Cuba for, uh, with this team traveling around the churches in, in, uh, in 10 days, we visited 41 pastors, heard most of their stories, and we're in 31 churches. I mean, this is why it's an encouragement trip. Uh, we, took, we took gifts. One guy took 25 hammers and files. And, uh, and that was like when those pastors got the hammers, you would have think, thought we gave them $10,000. I mean, they would hold that handle, hammer and tell us how much it meant to them how many times they had to go borrow a hammer. They didn't have a hammer. That file to sharpen their machetes. We took, we took all kinds of stuff. We took towels. We took clothing. We took this and we took that. And we would try to find the right person to give it to. So Paula took that doll for three or four days. She would have it every day. We'd visited 17 churches by then. We were about halfway through. And she was always looking for someone to give that doll to. But God had that doll saved. It was either they were boys, they were too old, they were two girls, 
Now, we were traveling around for four or five days. So all this took place, like, and she got the dolls weeks before we went. That, that request of that little girl was the day before we got to that church. Her daddy said, I'll buy you some ice cream, but you're going to have to pray for a doll. And the very next day, God had that doll all saved up for weeks. And we traveled around for days trying to give it away to answer the prayer for a little girl who prayed. And here she is when she got that doll. And they said, that's not even the best expression. That's just when they got the camera out. And she was so excited. And here she is again, looking it over. And here she is again. I believe I saw the light. And you know, that girl will never forget it, but I wonder about that dad. I wonder how that reassurance is that you're not alone. I know you're there. I know about you. And sometimes it's not the really big things. It's the doll baby. It's the hammer we gave. It's giving a lady down there a suitcase, a small suitcase, not even the kind that has wheels on it. And she started crying. This pastor's wife just started bawling. I said, why are you crying? She said, I've been praying and praying for a small suitcase because all we have is a great big one. When I travel alone, I'm trying to lug that big suitcase. And, you know, I didn't know she needed it, and we just happened to have it. It's those little confirmation that we see the light and we believe. And, you know, that little girl increased my faith as well and the whole team that was with us. I believe. I saw the light. Have you seen the light lately? You know why sometimes we don't see the light? Because we have our eyes closed. God's working all around us, and we don't, we don't realize he's there because we're not looking for God, but he's at work in your life and in mine. While we were there, they said, do you want to go in here and see our stone zoo? And I said, yeah, we'll go see your stone zoo in Cuba. So we went in. And you can, you can Google this up online. It, it's, an, it's a heritage site now. Uh, there was a, there was a campo, campesino, a country guy, you know, worked in, uh, what do you call him, a, a rural guy. What do, you, I mean, what do you call him in English? A what? A farmer, basically. Anyway, he worked in the farm anyway. We call them campesinos in Spanish. But anyway, he, he, he was out there working in his fields up in the mountains. And about, oh, I think it was about 40 years ago, they said, he decided he was tired of doing that. And he had a hammer and a chisel and an axe, and I think a machete, and uh, he, uh, he had seen some pictures of animals, and he went out and he started carving animals out of the rocks, just the rocks in place. Didn't even move the rocks, just carved them where they were. And they're amazing. I mean, I couldn't believe it. There's 411 now, and his son took over. He's passed away, and his son took over, and these animals aren't little animals. There I am with Mary standing. Their life-size animals are bigger, and they are really well done. And how this guy could do it, he didn't have drawings to do it with. He just did it. And now they've made it into a park. And, and these animals are really, really cool. And uh, that, that uh, crocodile, it must be about 20 feet long, eating that whatever it's eating. Well, I don't know what it's eating. It looks like it's eating. Well, I don't know. Whoops, whoops. I tried to hit that there. I don't know what that is, but you can see it's eating something there. And, and uh, what do you think it is? It might be a dog. Uh, that, that, look at that. That's a full-size ox cart. And there's one of our team members standing right beside the carved guy. I mean, I mean, these are the most amazing things I ever think. They think they just did it like that. Here he is out in the nowhere, and uh, 
And there's my wife, and that's Paula, the girl that had the, the doll. And there they're standing by those animals. And, and remember, he just went up and found a rock and started carving. Didn't move the rock or anything. The rocks were all carved in place. And uh, here's another one. And uh, you can see they look almost lifelike. Then the way he's got the motion, that he, he did them in a way that, that looks really good. And there they are. There's Paul and Kevin from Upper Valley Church uh, with the walrus. I guess that's a walrus. Is that what that is? What is that? I don't know, I don't know what it is, but it sure is big. And uh, here Mary, my wife Mary is in a cabin. The guy, his son took two years to, to make a cabin out of a rock. I mean, this rock, is, this rock is the size like a, this platform. He made a cabin. You go in. There's a guy looking out the window. There's a, two children in the cabin. There's, there's people he carved that. He had to carve that. He had to hollow all that out and carved it with those crude uh, machinery. And there you can guess what that is. There's Mama and uh, having lunch. And uh, here, uh, there's the monkey. But these, these, it was fascinating. We, we walked all through there. I don't know if we saw all 411, but we saw a lot of them. And, uh, and there's a fox or something. And uh, this is my favorite, though. Do you know what this is? This is a rock. <laughs> Do you know what this is? This. There's something in there, but I don't know what it is. But it's in that rock. And when that fellow gets over to that rock with those crude tools, there's something going to come out of that rock. It's hiding in there. And I've known people that are just like that rock. You wouldn't think there was anything beautiful in them. You wouldn't think they had anything to offer. And maybe you're feeling that way, like I don't have anything to offer. I want to tell you there's something in that rock and there's something in every person. God has a plan for them. Even if they were the one that messed up, even if someone's done bad to them, even if they're confused, there's something inside every person that God's trying to reach. Our motive to reach them is love. We love them. We want them to have the best. We want God to have the best in his children. We love God. We love others. And so we're seeking. And that's why we do what we do in the church. Do you realize if it weren't for love for others, the best thing we could do if we're Christians is always die right now? Right? If it weren't for love for others, for others, our families, people that need us, I mean, isn't it better in heaven? We say it is. I don't know if we always believe it, but <laughs> we say it is. Why does God even leave us here for Christians? One reason, love. Love to our families, love to our kids that need us for financial reasons, for training. Love for others that need the Lord. Love to God to serve him, to walk with him. It's all love. So I don't know what's in your rock. But I know what's in everybody's rock. But there's something beautiful in that rock. Maybe if I go back sometime, maybe I'll see something that's standing there. I believe I saw the light. Lord, I pray that you'll help us that when you shine the light upon us that we will believe. And all these signs from you that are all around us, I pray, God, that you'll help us to see that you're at work, that you love us, that you're still intervening in life. And when we meet someone who seems almost on the trash pile of life, Instead of condemning, instead of getting frustrated, 
Help us to see something beautiful in that rock and pray for them and make changes ourselves if we need to to reach them. Help us, Lord, to reach the world for you. Not because we want to be the biggest church, not because we want to show others, not because we're afraid if we don't, but because we love you the same way that you love the world. Use us. Bless Pastor Stephen and Amy and everyone that's involved in this church. And help us, Lord, as we go out to realize that no matter what's happened in life, people can rise again, and so can we. Thank you, Lord, that we can see the light in your name. Amen. Before you go, I'm going to play you a video. This is my favorite church video, but it had nothing to do with church. But you'll see why at the end. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't made for church. And so let's pull down the lights for this one because it, it, it's just better if it's dark. And uh, remember the theme. I believe I saw the light. Remember the theme that no matter what happens in life, you can arise again, and so can that other person. So here we go. Here's the video. And now, may you leave this place and see the light that our God is one strong God. <laughs> and no matter how anybody's down, no matter what you're going through, we can arise again and we can see the light. God bless you. Have a great day.